Do pets go to heaven? Why was Satan ever allowed in Eden? We have the best Ask episode ever on the way. So let's get to it. Welcome once again to Ask, where you give us questions and I answer them. Questions about life, the Bible, faith, pretty much anything you can think about. So we need your questions. It doesn't happen without them. So go to cornerstonebv.org, click media, drop down, ask, click ask, and then leave your question in that drop down menu, okay? All right, let's get into our questions for this week. In the grand scheme of things, ooh, this sounds big, this may seem like a trivial issue, but it's very important to me. Do animals go to heaven when they die? And are we reunited with our beloved pets? Sounds like she's hedging, I think, Steve. A Christian friend and I have differing opinions. Actually, I don't know if it's a she. Uh, it could be a he. One of my top questions on ask, for sure. First of all, no animal has a soul, so they're neither in heaven or in hell. Humans are the only ones made in the image of God. However, we do know there will be animals in the kingdom of God. Right? So, it's certainly possible that God will bless us with animals that are much like our beloved pets. And I suppose it's even possible that he could gift us these pets to live with us again. Certainly not beyond what God could do. I tend to doubt it, but biblically, but you cannot say either way. So, uh, you know, what do we know about heaven? There is joy upon joy and there are no tears. So even if our pets are not with us, much like the humans we love, it won't be there. We will have perspective that keeps us from being sad or disappointed. Also, we will be so satisfied with being in the presence of Christ and living in such a restored purpose that these things will pale in comparison. All right? Okay. Second question. Did people really get healed at Bethsaida when the water was stirred? I thought it was just a myth people believed at the time, but John 5.4 kind of makes it sound legit. All right, so let's go to the scriptures. John chapter 5, starting with verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has uh, five roofed colonnades. Verse 3. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. All right, so hold on. So uh, it's here we have the issue at hand. In some early manuscripts, we have verse 4, but not the earliest. Because of that, translation committees have had to make a decision. And most solid English translations do not include verse 4. And they put a footnote. This would include ESV, NASB, NIV, NLT, etc. However, the King James Version, and therefore the New King James Version, do include it. It says, verse 4, For an angel went down in a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. So to answer your question, it is most not likely scriptural, verse 4, and should be dismissed because the earliest manuscripts do not include it. Someone might have inserted it later on. However, it is clear that people believed this to be true, even though it was not. Here's the rest of the passage, starting with verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? In verse 7, the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up and take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and they took up his bed, and he walked. So Jesus clearly did not um, put stock in the legend, right? And neither should we, I don't think. The story shows how desperate people can 
can really get to be healed, even in, for us, right? It might not be a pool, but it's something else, some medicine, some technique. It also shows that some people don't actually want to be healed and just really want to sit in misery and complain, okay? All right, last question for this week. Why should God allow Satan in the form of a serpent into a perfect place? Knowing that Adam and Eve would, would fail him, why not exclude the serpent and see what would happen with the tree of knowledge? I love the questions where it's like, I don't know, ask God, but I tell you to ask him, so here we go. The tree of knowledge is there in the first place as a test, remember. It tested whether they truly loved God and were content to trust him and him alone. The fact is Adam and Eve already had the temptation to eat of the tree. Would they have succumbed to that temptation if the serpent had not preyed on these temptations? Well, we'll probably never know that. But the answer is at least partially in how God reacted, right? God did not uh, God did judge the serpent, but he also held both Adam and Eve accountable as well. The truth is, Adam and Eve both had the capacity of rejecting the temptation and trusting and loving God. They were not forced, right? The sin begins with them sort of wanting to believe the serpent, right? The serpent just kind of gave voice to what they were already thinking and experiencing. This is a really good example for us. If you're a Christian, you are free from being a slave to sin. Like Christ has freed you of that. And while you're still tempted, you have all of the available tools to resist. Yes, Satan and demonic forces do tempt you, but they're not the reason you ultimately succumb to sin. You are, you're to blame. Okay, this has been asked, so hopefully it's been helpful. Make sure you ask your questions and we'll see them in an upcoming episode. In the meantime, hopefully we'll see you this weekend, uh, either Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 11. God bless. See you soon.